0: Hi, Dan Seaborn here. Thank you for connecting with us. Our goal here at Winning at Home is, in every way that we can, offer you guidance and tips on how to grow in your family life, no matter the stage or the age that you are. And so today, we're giving you some simple tips and practical advice on growing with your family. We hope you enjoy it, and if you'd like more information about Winning at Home, make sure you hit our website, winningathome.com. Here you go. Hope you enjoy this featured show. I actually am going to kind of introduce this idea that Alan's going to be sharing about today. So I'd say about six months ago, would you say, Alan? Yeah, uh, somewhere we around We were there. over at an event where we were speaking on marriage, and it was to an audience of single people. Maybe a few of them were married, but most were single. And we were talking about what to expect and what it's going to be like when you get married. And Alan had some specific things he shared, and I had some specific things I shared, and neither of us really knew the whole detail of what we were going to be saying. But as you were sharing, Alan, I found myself really intrigued by some of the studies you had researched, and also you applied it just to your new marriage, because you've been married to Annalise, what, year and a half, two years now? Yeah,
1: yep. Right around, it would be two years in
0: April. And so Mom and I are sitting here at 33 years, and I'm listening to you on stage share, you know, from a young marriage perspective, and it was just really good stuff. And I thought that it would be good for people who have been married 80-plus years to, to listen to this today because I think sometimes when you are In marriage for a long time, you can fall into some really bad ruts. Mm -hmm. And those ruts start when you're a year in, a year and a half in. And I think the things that you're trying to do are things that we all can learn from. And so I'm going to lateral the ball to you here, Alan, and let you share some of the thoughts that you were sharing that day. And then I'll interrupt you as is appropriate and give some thoughts as well.
1: All right. Yeah. Well, the unique thing as we're preparing for this recording, I was thinking about the fact that, like you said, that night we were speaking to, you know, some engaged couples, some that had been married maybe a little bit, but mostly that were single. Right. And so I was kind of the expert with a year and a half of marriage under my belt. Oh, you know, yeah. And so now I'm talking to people who are married <laughs> and have been married for a while. <laughs> so a many years. Yeah, it's a little different audience. But um that's cool because I really like you said, I really think the stuff um, that it's not my ideas, right. not stuff that I came up with. Right. And I think it really applies no matter where we're at in our marriage. And that's the cool thing.
0: Well, I do too. And that's why I wanted you to bring it to the forefront here today, because something's happened even this past week uh, with me and your mom, where I think some of the principles you're going to talk about applies to us. And I'm going to talk about how we filtered through that and how it benefited our marriage. So I'm going to let you kind of introduce the concept to the audience today, and then we'll go from there.
1: Sure. Well, uh, like in the 1960s, 1970s, as divorce became more and more common in the United States, there were a bunch of people, scientists, you know, psychologists, sociologists, those type of people who wanted to study uh, the effects of divorce. And so they started meeting with the kids who their parents had been divorced. They started meeting with the former husbands and wives who had gone through divorce, and they wanted to figure out what kind of impact emotionally and mentally and all these things that divorce was having on people who had lived through it. And that was kind of, the majority of the studies were focused on that. And then a guy came along and he decided that he wanted to study, uh, instead of the effects of divorce, he wanted to study the causes of divorce. And so he didn't really know how to do it, so what he did was he sat down with a bunch of couples that were either newly married or that were engaged and about to be married.
0: Not divorced yet. Not
1: divorced yet. No, okay. they, were, they were still in the early stages of their relationship. And what he did is he sat them down and he interviewed them. He had them talk about just their kind of day-to-day life. What's a regular day in your relationship? Then he would ask them a couple other questions. Well, I wanted to say,
0: did they know he was doing this like pre-divorce study?
1: yeah they well the, he was studying healthy relationships okay, that okay. was kind of
0: so he didn't really say to him hey i i know some of you are going to get divorced someday and i'm setting up for that do you think he did that
1: i'm not sure that's okay. a good question okay, I wonder he might this. have but yeah, might yeah have. i don't know okay um so while he's asking them to talk about their relationship then he would ask them you know what's something tough some conflict that you've dealt with recently And he would ask them, you know, what are you looking forward to? When are you getting married? Or when did you get married? How did you meet? All those kind of just regular stuff that you ask couples. But since he was a scientist, he wasn't just asking these questions. He actually hooked them up to a bunch of different machines Mm. so that while they're sitting there answering these questions, he could measure their heart rate, their blood flow and how much sweat their bodies were producing. So how they're reacting,
0: almost like a lie detector test. Exactly, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So he wasn't so much focused in on the words, he was more focused on the physical reactions that okay. were happening in these people's bodies while they're sitting there with their you know, person they're in love with and talking. And so he got done with it and he didn't really know what to do with this information. So he just sat on it for a while. And then five years later, he met up with all those couples again. And what he did was he realized that by that point, there were people who were in healthy relationships that they were in loving and nurturing and, you know, really uh, partners doing in life. Good. yeah, doing they were good. doing good. Yeah. yeah. And then there were others who were, some were still married, but they were in obviously unhealthy relationships. There was constant tension and friction and these couples didn't like being around each other. It was obvious. And then some had already experienced divorce by this five-year mark. And so then, now that he knew this information about what couples were healthy and what couples were unhealthy and right. some even split up, he went back and he looked at those physical results of the tests that he took while they were sitting there talking about their relationship. And he found this, this huge correlation between the people who were in healthy relationships and the people who weren't. And he was a scientist, not real creative. So right, he right. named the healthy relationships, the masters and the unhealthy relationships, the disasters. Okay. Yeah. So like I say, you know, scientists, he did his best. That's oh, creative. I like yeah. it. It <laughs> rhymes. It rhymes. Yes. It's easy to remember. Yeah. Um, and so then he went back and he looked and he found that the masters, their physical tests had, you know, kind of some common results. And so did the disaster. You mean
0: from when he first interviewed? From five years ago, yeah, when he first
1: interviewed him and and took those measurements. Okay. So he realized that the first time he spoke with him, the people who five years later are in these unhealthy situations, they had a higher heart rate, their blood flow was increased and they were sweating more than the, than the master couples while they were sitting and talking.
0: Even pre, this is when they were engaged or first married. Yeah. They're already sweating in the beginning. Exactly. Okay.
1: <laughs> now, on the outside, he couldn't tell right. anything different between these couples. Right. But what he realized now that he's looking back on these results five years later, he realized that these couples, while they were sitting there talking to each other, looked normal on the outside, internally, they were in a fight or flight response because they knew their relationship and they knew that at any moment they needed to be prepared to be attacked or to attack because they knew that conflict is always just right around the horizon. And so he he watched this and he saw the huge chasm between these couples who were experiencing this fight-or-flight response every time when they're just talking about normal stuff around their spouse. And he decided, you know, he didn't want to just leave it at that. So he wanted to figure out, well, what gets them to that point? Why do they have this unhealthy way that they're relating to each other? And so he set up a little bed and breakfast because he wanted to experience a day in the life with these couples. And so he told them, obviously, that he was measuring them and watching them while they were going about their day and he would watch these couples while they were out on vacation, while they were getting breakfast ready in the morning, while they're sitting, having a cup of coffee, reading the paper, while they're planning out their day, reading a book, whatever they're doing, he and his team are sitting there and they're watching how these couples are interacting. And they found, again, uh, a difference between the way that the masters and the way that the disasters interacted with one another. The way that they talk about it Uh, is they say that every time a spouse, like when I'm at home with my wife, if I try to get her attention to tell her about something or to show her something or to ask her a question or whatever, they call that making a bid for your partner's attention. Okay. And they realize that throughout the day, this is something that we do all the time. Mm. We just, we're constantly trying to, you know, we kind of laugh about kids do it. They say, look at me, look at me. Right, right, right. Adult. We do it. We just do it in a different way. Yeah. And so they watched that and they saw that the way that these uh, spouses interacted with those bids for attention. An example they gave is one of the couples that was there, I think it was the husband was an active bird watcher and he (laughs) saw some cool bird out the window, you know, because they're staying in a unique place. And he saw this bird that he thought was really cool. And that's that's what they say. Like, you want to show someone an article you read in the paper, you want to show someone something of your interest, whatever it is they found that there's a few different responses that we can have when our spouse makes a bid for our attention, yeah. So we can respond positively, which is engaging in some way, going, oh, that's really cool, yeah, I know you love birds, tell me about that. Or just kind of going, yeah, that's awesome, thanks for sharing. We can have a neutral response, which is sort of a, oh, all right, nice. Nice bird. And just kind of move on from (laughs) there, right, Uh yeah. You know how that feels. Yeah. Um, and then they had the negative responses, which were just some couples responded to each other totally in silence, just mm. never even pretended like they didn't even say anything. Yeah. But then almost worse than that, some would have some kind of a negative <laughs> thing to say. Like, <laughs> sure. You know, I don't care about birds. birds. Why, why are you bothering bird. me? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That sort of thing. And so they found as they watched these couples over time that the masters... We're having a positive response to these bids for attention 87% of the time. They realize they're, they're mm. pouring time and attention and sure. effort and that's, energy. That's effort, man, to yeah, do that. exactly. And they found that was creating this healthy dynamic wow. of knowing wow. that I'm valued because this thing that I care about that you obviously don't as much as me, you care about it. And show me that I have value when I bring it to your attention.
0: You're caring about it totally because you care about me. Exactly. Because you could care less about birds. Exactly. But since you like birds, I like birds. Yes. That's huge. Yeah. And so 87% of the That's time, big, 87%, the life.
1: masters had a positive response. The disasters, on the other hand, only 33% of the time. So one out of three times that someone brings something up, they're met with a positive response. Yeah. And you can completely see how that would just totally, totally shut someone down eventually. Oh, yeah. yeah, You know, you're not going to go out and say, oh, well, hey, let's talk about this. Look at me. If you think one out of three times, they're going to maybe say something nice. Otherwise, they're just going to ignore me.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm 33 years into my marriage and I'm sitting here thinking if you had to throw a percentage on me of mm-hmm. uh, things that your mom would say to me that I would go. Man, I, I really care about that. Our, our show, I, I don't think I'm at 87%. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding myself going, but here's what's interesting. I'm not, but I want her to be. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> this morning, this is interesting we're talking about this because this literally comes to me this morning. I brought something up today that I've sought to bring up many times before and all the other times it went negative. And this morning it went awesome. I mean, it was awesome. She cared about the thing that I brought up ridiculously. Yeah. No defensiveness, just, hey, that's a good point kind of thing. I left the house, and I had to do a couple errands before I came to the office today. I literally have not stopped thinking about how good that made me feel. Wow. I mean, I I bet you I drove several miles thinking, I got to let her know how good that felt. I got to let her know what it meant for me to be able to say that and her to come back with a positive response. And, I mean, I found myself going, I'm looking forward to seeing her at the end of the day. That's I mean, awesome. that that's what we're talking about here. And this is where the rubber meets the road. And it's interesting, too, because this comes on the heels of a conversation that I had with another guy whose wife isn't doing that right now. Mm. And he's just beside himself. And so, you know, it's obviously not just wives. I'm talking because I was talking to a guy. For sure. But I I think we're on to something massive here of helping people see First of all, check your percentage. Yeah. Yeah, you know, check your per- – what do you think you're doing? How how involved do you think you're being? So I, kn- I know you're going to keep talking about this, but I just think, you know, the practical reality of what you're sharing hit me this morning, mm-hmm. and I think that's pretty important.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I want to just talk for a little bit about what that looks like for Annalise and I in our home. Yeah. Um, because Annalise is really into – you know, artistic stuff, and she likes fashion, and she likes all these things, so she's on Pinterest a lot on her phone. And, you know, while we're at home, hanging out, doing whatever, she'll be over, you know, checking on her phone and looking at Pinterest, or looking at some other crafting type of site like that. Oh, boy. And she'll stop, and she'll, (laughs) yeah, you know, fashion. Well,
0: you, that ain't fashion. That's not my thing, exactly,
1: (laughs) you know? And um, so she'll stop and she'll say, hey, Alan, come take a look at this. And she'll pull it up her phone and, you know, usually she's got a picture of some shirt or something like she doesn't call it a shirt. You know, it's got a fancy name and I can't remember, but uh, she'll show me this stuff. And I'm trying to keep in mind now that I've learned about this study that I need to engage with her in what she's showing me because she's not showing me a picture of a shirt and asking Hey, Alan, how much do you care about this shirt? She's showing me this picture and saying, Hey, Alan, how um, much do you care about me? Me, yeah. 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 And when you get that in your head, you realize that these aren't just throwaway little conversations. She's not trying to waste my time and show yeah. me something that I don't care about. Yeah. She's trying to connect with me. Yeah. Uh, you know, but she's not the only one that's into something that, you know, I'm not into. I, I love, obviously, the people listening. They know, you know. I love NBA basketball. Right. right. And I'm
0: freaks that way. We're about the only two people in this whole world. I exactly. think, But other than nobody that, nobody yeah. else listening nobody. does at all. <laughs> yep.
1: But that's all right. Um, and when I talk to Annalise, she knows stats about these guys. She knows what kind of contract people have recently signed. She knows who's on a winning streak. She knows all this crazy stuff. And the reason she knows is because when I share what I enjoy and what makes me excited to talk about, She connects with me. She cares. And she makes that obvious because she actually engages. It's not a throwaway type of thing. And that's something that we, ever since we've come across that study, we're really working on that in our marriage because even though those moments are so small, so seemingly insignificant, it turns out they're not small and they're not insignificant.
0: No, they're huge. Yeah. They're difference makers. Well, Alan, I think it's actually something that no matter what stage of marriage you're in, you can do a little self-analysis and it might be wise for you to even say to your spouse if you had to put a percentage mm-hmm. on me as to the way I respond to you so when I share something with you if you said 10% means I hardly ever listen to you 90% means I really feel actively involved and I show you love by listening to you tell me which one of those or find a number for me yes. i think it'd be really wise and then and then when your spouse says the percentage, don't get defensive if it's lower than you're thinking, because it might be. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. probably will be. <laughs> but I think you're you on to something that's huge here. And I I mean, I honestly believe no matter if you've been married 50 years, you could take this principle and say, how am I doing with this? Because I see, especially with older couples, I see it more and more. And maybe it's because I'm probably around some older couple sometimes, that I see this real, not just no response, but the negative, well, that's not that big of a, you know, it's kind of like a a real nagging response Mm -hmm. that isn't very positive at all. And so kids, grandkids are watching this going, man, that's not what I want. And I think it's very important to see that you can end up there if you aren't careful, because, you know, you guys are a year and a half into your marriage, two years into your marriage, if you don't get control of this now, if you're not giving the 90% rule to Annalise now, it's not going to go higher the right. longer you're married. <laughs> if anything, yeah. it's going to go lower. Yep. So how do we keep bumping that percentage up on on the positive side to make sure we're listening and, and giving focus to what our spouse is saying? I know I'm listening thinking to myself, i got to go home and work at this because there's plenty of times Jane's comment to me will be, you aren't even listening, are you? Mm-hmm. So when I hear that, what I just told myself was, I'm 0% on that yeah. because that shows I'm not connecting at all. Yeah. And I got to do a better job of that. And the reason is because I'm thinking about my thing. Yep. yep. Yeah. So I think all of us can do a little self-analysis and apply it to our lives.
1: Definitely. And I, I love, you know, at the end of this study, what this guy, John Gottman is his name, if you want to go and look this up for yourself. Uh, but at the end of it, he got to the point where he realized that with these couples, the masters, were intentionally cultivating this in their relationship, yeah, that they were yeah. constantly scanning their world for things that they could uh, praise and talk positively mm, about, about good. their partner. Yeah, And that the disasters were at the spot where they were constantly looking for mistakes and waiting so that they could catch them because I want you to see that you mess up more than sure, I do. Sure. And that is just such a, a tough dynamic to try to live in can you imagine that
0: well it's a change of mindset for most people because you're finding yourself going you just what you just described there took us to a whole nother step now all of a sudden you're not only complimenting them in the in person in other words i'm listening to you i'm out there in the real world with my buddies hanging out and when they're talking negative about their spouse i'm not participating in that i'm saying something positive i'm telling you that's not even in the realm of most people's world yeah and so i think it's it's This is an awesome teaching on how to move your marriage in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And the reality is most of us fall into the standard plot of this is where I am and it's probably only going to go down from here. We need to change our mindset to say I'm going to make this positive. I'm going to my marriage is going to get better in the days and years ahead because my percentage is going to continue to rise. Yeah, I like that That's idea. That's the bottom line. That's what we're after. For sure. Now, Alan, I'm sure that you have a biblical way to tie all this together from God's word. Yeah, I do. Yeah, Actually, I know you do. Yeah, I can see your Bible laying open there. It's,
1: um, it's kind of the obvious go-to Valentine's, love, marriage type of a thing, but I wanted to read from 1 Corinthians 13 because I really think that there's not a better way yeah, there's not. to talk about it. Yeah. And um, this starting in verse four, it says, love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it's not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it's not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails
0: i mean you could just Sit there and go over that one line item at a time. Mm-hmm. Starting with the beginning, love is patient. I, r- I remember studying that. I, I'm not a Greek expert, but I think the word is macrothamia. I don't know, probably don't say it correctly, but the word actually insinuates patience with people, not with things. Mm-hmm. And starting at the very beginning of that chapter, Jesus in you know, God's teaching here is nailing us saying through Paul's writing, we've got to make sure that we have patience and kindness and self-seeking attitude that's honoring a person, and in this case, the person is our spouse. Yeah, the yeah. Per, and the person I love, we take for granted, yeah.
1: Definitely, and I love how, as you read that, you can't walk away thinking that love is not an action. You know, it's, yeah. there are all these just unbelievably practical, real-world, yeah. if you love, you act like this. Yeah. And it, it flows out of... Um, this commitment, you know, it's so common, like in our world, to say, "Well, I, yeah, I fell in love, or I fell out of love, yeah. or I whatever." Yeah. Yeah. And
0: it the no way concept we, of the real meaning of love. Exactly. Yeah.
1: The way we talk about love, it seems like it's more an emotion than sure. an action. And I love how Scripture grounds us in that reality that love has a meaning, and that meaning is behavior. And the way that we choose to act, the way that we choose to talk, the way that we choose to treat the people around us, in this case specifically our spouse, we show that we love them by how
0: we treat them. What we've shared today, a way and see that there is a new path and pattern that you could start on to build a healthier marriage and even family, then we have done an ineffective job of communicating a very simple truth. So I, I think today listening you have to go... Well, that's pretty easy to understand. And that's our goal here at Winning at Home. You know, When we founded this ministry, it was to give practical, simple, everyday advice, helping people grow in every age and stage of family life to build Christ-centered homes. And that's what we've done on this show, is to help you see if you stop listening to this and walk back into your home or back into your life, with a self-surrendering spirit, you're going to turn things around. You can make what looks like a hopeless situation hopeful. And remember, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, an action word that you can apply this Valentine's season in your marriage, in your life. Go do it today. If your spouse didn't hear this, hand them the CD and say, listen to this, we're going to start this in our life because we're going to turn it around. We're going to have a positive impact on our own family and thus upon our neighborhood and upon the world. It starts one heart at a time. And so today I pray that what we've shared with you, you can take and apply. That's our goal. That's our purpose. And thank you again for helping us do what we do and for partnering with us and helping others win at home.